Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Not So Native Podcast. Let me introduce your host. My name is Rob Lamb. And I'm Aaron Bailey. Kick back and let us take you on a journey as we explore some of Arizona's most fascinating people, places, and things to do. Are you ready? Are you looking to make your next vacation remarkable? Call Ted Vershuren with Cruise Planners, an American Express travel representative, 1-800-590-4108, or visit tlccruisestoreandmore.com. From cruises to land tours and complete vacation packages, when you're thinking of vacations, think Ted with Cruise Planners, where all you have to do is pack. 1-800-590-4108, or visit tlccruisestoreandmore.com. Hey, we're at 8-Bit Aleworks today with our uh, brewmaster, Ryan Witten, and we're going to just uh, learn a little bit about Brian, learn a little bit about what it is that you, you do here and the, the impetus for your business here. So if you could just share with us, what, what's, what's your background? Sure. So... Um Kind of funny, um, background isn't necessarily in brewing. Um, degree is going to be in uh, visual effects, uh, doing like special stuff on the computers for Hollywood, that sort of thing. Um, before we opened this place, I did uh, online marketing for about five years as well. Oh, wow. But um, homebrewed for 11 years before we uh, decided to get this place open. And at this point, I've been brewing for about 15. So definitely wasn't a flash in the pan. It was one of those bad ideas that just kind of slowly grew and transformed and then my wife and I were uh, spending all our time here which is pretty awesome there you go so what, what happened did you like uh, because 8-bit is a video game themed brewery and there's Mario games that you can play at the tabletops there's Super Mario Kart there's all kinds of uh, artwork on the wall that represents different video games so if you're a child of the 80s you will definitely love this place yep. would you agree oh yeah all right yeah. Uh, i think that um, tell us tell us about the idea from the 8-bit idea sure so um my wife and i are both huge gamers um not just the old nostalgic stuff we actually love to play the newer stuff too um, to the point where he had to buy a second PlayStation so that the two of us could play games together. Like when we wanted to sit down and play Overwatch, uh, Diablo, that sort of thing. So your PlayStation, not Xbox. Right. Uh, nobody's perfect, but it's okay. Oh, God. <laughs> well, this podcast is over. Xbox. <laughs> hey, don't scare off our guests, uh, Aaron. Come on. I'm a Forza guy, which is hence the attraction Xbox. Sorry to interrupt the story. Continue, Forza. Oh, no problem. Like Mine was PlayStation mainly just because uh, I loved more of the RPG-style games, sure. uh, the Final Fantasies, that sort of stuff when it came out, and most of those kind of started out where it's like, oh, this is only on PlayStation, versus uh, like the ones that were typically Xbox-exclusive, with the exception of Fable, weren't ones that I was really after. So. Sure. Fair enough. It was really no loyalty one way or the other. It's just PlayStation had the games I wanted to play. Right. But, um, so yeah, with us both being big gamers, we didn't necessarily want to go um, just full-blown video game, bar, barcade, that sort of thing. Because um, that's great. I mean, gamers love playing it. Um, we love doing it. But if you're not careful, that can almost become exclusionary. And that's the exact opposite of what we want to do. True. 
So there's plenty of people that are in their 30s and 40s, 50s. Um, they played the old Nintendo games, Super Nintendo games, but they don't game now because they've got families, jobs, etc. Damn responsibilities get in the way every time. <laughs> so we decided to go with 8-Bit because it was a lot more nostalgic. Um, it made everything a lot more fun for us. Like we got to have fun with all this pixelated artwork and turning the cans into little pixelated characters and that sort of thing and it's nice because you do have one of those people where they're like oh I don't play games anymore um, I don't understand what Fortnite is or Overwatch or anything like that but I remember Mario I, I can tell you that I spent a good bit of my childhood when I was in Kingsville Texas playing this very game that's sitting at our table right now Super Mario Brothers and it was uh, it was a, a lot of wasted youth I can tell you that but as far as PlayStation goes, the best I ever got was Driver, Driver 1, 2, and 3. I love those car chase games. So I was kind of intimidated coming in here, not just because I'm not a big gamer. And so once I started looking at the pictures on your website, by the way, what's your website? Uh, 8BitAleWorks.com with a dash between the 8 and the bit. There you go. So 8BitAleWorks.com. And then we're here in Goodyear, Arizona, so... Uh, Avondale. Oh, I'm sorry, Avondale, Arizona. I will edit that. Thank you very much. I completely forgot about I'm an that. Avondale native, so that part's important. It is. Yeah, tell me about your nativeness. Yeah, so um, just pretty much my parents uh, raised us out here. Technically, first couple of years, I was out in Goodyear, uh, out in Cerebell Gardens on a big acre, and then they uh, moved us up about two miles north of the brewery um, into the Garden Lakes area. And I pretty much grew up there fishing. Um, if I wasn't playing video games, I was fishing. If I wasn't fishing, I was playing video games. Playing in some, my parents had to bounce back and forth on which one they were going to ground me on when I did something stupid. <laughs> You're grounded for video games. Go on fishing. There you go. Always don't want to fall back on that. I'll, I'll be outside. Thank you very much. And I had my fishing video games, so I was good. There you go. Now, what high school did you go to? Westview? Um, Should have gone to Westview based on location, but uh, my mom sent me to Phoenix Christian in uh, downtown Phoenix. Okay. I went right, there for a year or two. So. Yeah. I had a friend that went to Westview that grew up there back, back in the day. So. Yeah, like I said, technically I should have gone to Westview as far as uh, districts and that sort of stuff go. Cool. But, <laughs> excuse me. Were your parents into farming? Is that, I mean, what did your parents do to. Yep, so um, my dad sold corn seed. For a living, so he actually I uh, sold corn seed, alfalfa, cotton seeds, silage, that sort of stuff. So I actually um, I spent a lot of time on farms and dairies all around the state. Like pretty much, if it was one of those, it's like, oh, Dad's gonna go down to Wilcox. Like every once in a while, as a kid, it's like, oh yeah, I want to go do this with Dad. Two and a half, three hour uh, car ride later, it was getting pretty bored at five, six, <laughs> seven years old. But. Uh, it, it was also kind of nice because it was one of those, you know, growing up, uh, like, farms were way different than everything else. So, you know, kind of grew up with a different crowd, a different um, group of people. Um, it was funny, uh, all through college, like, I'd have people there like, oh, you know, you're just, you're, some of the things you say and some of your personality, they're like, it's just not really like anybody we're used to. And I didn't realize until... Um, probably five years ago when uh, I just, like, my dad was getting ready to shut down his business and I went and uh, dealt with the farmers a couple of times. They were talking just like me. I'm like, I wasn't unique. I was talking like a farmer. <laughs> farmer DNA. There you go. Pretty much. 
So where'd your passion for brewing come from? How did you stumble, you say 15 years ago, how did you develop this love for, for brewing? I mean, what, 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 was it, what was the spark for that? So it was kind of cool. Um, growing up, like, my parents always carried around a couple cases of empty Grolsch bottles. Um, they were the ones that had the flip top. Um, they were the... Yeah, the flip top, and it would it had that white thing, and you would be able to secure it and tighten it down. Bingo. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. I remember uh, those. That I'm was old a... enough to remember. Yeah. I think they still have that on Grolsch, but now most of them are green bottles instead of the brown. That's right. <laughs> but uh, they'd carried those around when we moved to a couple of places um, because they read an old article in the Mother Earth News on how to make your own beer. It was right after uh, home brewing became legal in like the late 70s. Oh. And I mean, I've got the recipe at home somewhere because my mom gave it to me. It's awful. It's oh, like, no. oh, because they didn't have homebrew stores or any of that stuff. So it's like, oh, see if you can maybe find hops somewhere through the mail and then take wheat germ and soak, or soak it in water and throw baker's yeast. I mean, recipe. I looked over it. I'm like, there's no way I will ever even attempt this. It'll be swill. Oh, and you think wow. Bud Light's bad, that'd blow it out of the water. <laughs> sorry, sorry to our sponsor, Bud Light. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... So when did you start to make this concoction? So you see your parents driving around with it. Did your dad brew beer? No, so neither one of them ended up doing it. They just talked about it, and I always kind of remembered it. And uh, it was right before I turned 21. I was sitting on the couch in my apartment, and I don't remember what it was. I don't remember if I saw a movie, if I was watching a TV show, or more than likely I was playing a game. Um, But something triggered that old memory, and it just struck me as like, Mom and Dad never homebrewed beer. I'm going to give it a try. So I called the homebrew store, um, asked them in the very awkward, slightly underage voice. It's like, so if I'm under 21, can I buy this stuff? Oh, yeah, yeah, you can come in and buy it. Uh, you can ferment it, but once it's done, you're going to need to dump it down the drain. <laughs> yes, sir, I will get right exactly on that. <laughs> Ironically enough, it was ready like a week before my 21st birthday. Oh, Found wow. that loophole just slightly too late. Wow. <laughs> Darn. But, uh, yeah, made a honey brown and uh, just got hooked. Where did you get the recipe for the honey brown? Uh, grabbed it from the homebrew store. Homebrew store. Is that locally here somewhere? Yeah, Can that would be there? Brewer's Connection out in Tempe is where I started. Brewer's Connection. Interesting. Fascinating stuff. I, I love beer. Me too. Uh, I love the science of beer, but the idea of brewing it, it takes a, takes a bit of extra effort. <laughs> Just a little bit. Really glad I opened this place when I did, because originally I thought it's like, oh, uh, you know, maybe we'll try to open a brewery when I'm 40. From all the time, like doing the online marketing, that was a desk job in a cubicle. I mean, eight years between the tech support and the online marketing. Um, if I had tried to go all the way until I was 40 and then tried to go back there, I don't think I would have been able to do it just because at that point it's like, okay, my body is used to a cubicle. And, I mean, it's hot back there. It's a lot of heavy labor, a lot of lifting. Like, I think there's a really good chance I would have hurt myself numerous times back there just by being stubborn. I probably shouldn't lift this keg. I'm going to lift this keg anyway. Uh-huh. So where uh, – let's, let's flip back into – Maybe a little bit about the ingredients. And, and one of the things that I like about beer is that it's 
all natural, especially microbrew stuff. Oh, yeah. they're, they're some of the major brands, they pasteurize, they do some things that might add stuff to it that, that's not necessary. But the thing I like about microbrew is, is that it's all natural. Where do you get your ingredients? So I get most of my ingredients, like a lot of the stuff that we need to brew beer doesn't really grow in Arizona. Um, I mean, we can grow some wheat and some barley. Um, there's a few places that have started doing a little bit of it, but uh, honestly, most of the maltsters are in the grain belt in the central United States, that sort of thing. So most of my grain gets shipped in from uh, pretty much places like that. Um, there's a few, like I get a little bit from Canada, a little bit from uh, the UK, because there's different specialty grains that they make that that's the only place you can get them. Like what kind of specialty grain? Tell me about that. Um, there's one out of Canada. It's, uh, I think, Gambrinus. They make a honey malt. And it's actually, so malt is what you call the barley after it's gone through the malting process. Um, they make a honey malt. And normally if you put honey into a beer, um, the yeast eats all the sugar out of the honey, and then it just leaves you with like this kind of sharp minerally taste that can almost taste like a penny. Um, with that special honey malt, it goes through a process where it leaves the grain tasting really sweet and honey-like, so it helps you get that honey character back into the beer um, without having to worry about, oh, the yeast is going to dry it all out. That's a whole science. Oh, yeah. That's why I love it. It's I get to be super creative, but there's still a whole bunch of science too, so I I get to use both sides of my brain. I get to it's like, oh I've got my right side and my left side, and they both get to kinda exercise and play. play. And, now a lot of science is kinda just throwing things together and seeing what happens. So do you do you have some of your you try some of that, maybe stuff that you haven't done before, or something that nobody else has done before, like Let's throw a little bit of this in there and see what we get at the flavor out there. Yeah, so uh, I have a very short attention span, so I like to throw a lot of weird stuff into beer and see what happens. Right on. Um, there's always a lot of thought and science that kind of goes behind it. Right. Um, like one of the things that I was working on earlier this year, and I got it tuned in, but it still needs a little bit of fine-tuning, was um, we made a beer called Health Potion. Health potions in games were typically red. Um, this was a boysenberry cobbler beer. Looked just like a health potion out of a game. Boysenberry cobbler beer. Yes. Okay. Tell ya. So, uh, if I made health potion, obviously I have to make mana potion too. Mana potions in games are blue though. So, there's actually very few things in nature that are a true blue. Uh, most of the time it's offshoots of purple or red or that sort of thing. So I actually uh, spent months working on stuff and trying to dial it in to finally be able to turn a beer blue using only natural ingredients. And we got a small five gallon test batch of mana potion knocked out. And sure enough, it was like most of it was based on the light, but for the most part, it was like a smoky dark blue. Um, if you held it up to uh, the sunlight, like the color of the UV light would turn it purplish, but it was, I'm glad it was a mana potion for magic, though, because you could move the glass around the tasting room and it'd keep changing colors. Go from, you know, this really vibrant blue to a smoky blue to a purple. So. Wow. You know, so you, you mentioned blue. Mm-hmm. Do blueberries make blue beer? No, they turn it neon pink. What? I learned that, um... We did a Breaking Bad themed beer dinner um, called Breaking Bit. 
like a little bit away from theme but the food truck that we brought in his food truck was actually an old Winnebago uh-huh. so as soon as we saw that it's like holy cow we've got to do this it's going to be great again, right? oh, no I don't even know if that food truck's still in business um, but I wanted to do uh, Walter White Mage so we did White Mage with a bunch of blueberries I'm like this is going to be great it's going to turn blue put them all in there pulled it out of the keg gorgeous neon pink beer tasted great but it was one of those it's like well it's not blue but it still has blueberries in it so we're sticking with Walter White Mage wow <laughs> that's just the, the whole science of trying to figure out what works I'm, I'm being in this concept called growth mindset if you where, where you're okay with making mistakes oh yeah and, and because for some reason especially Xers got into this uh, habit of not people from Generation X not wanting to make mistakes. And so they've raised a whole generation of kids that were afraid to make mistakes, sort of. Except for in the gaming world, clearly. <laughs> in the gaming world, you die, you get you hit restart, and you go again. You respawn, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Right. But, but in the real world, a lot of people have a hard time with making mistakes. So what would you say one of your biggest mistakes was been in, in the business world or in the brewing business. Have you made any mistakes that you can think of? So, I don't, I don't really consider anything really that big of a catastrophic mistake. Um, all of it's just Beautiful. learning experiences. There you go. So it's one of those, like, something goes wrong, it, I don't really categorize it. Well, that was, I mean, I'll joke around and like, oh, well, that was a dumb idea. But um, I don't know, I just chalk all of it up to, it's like, oh, well, I need to learn from that and move on. If I don't learn from it, then it becomes a mistake. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I mean, really, the, we had one beer that went off as far as the weird stuff I threw into it, and that's the closest thing to it. Um, I'd had some different lavender pale ales before. and they Lavender? Just, they worked really well. I was surprised. It's like lavender in a beer. So I figured it's like, okay, cool. Let me try doing that with our Hop Assassin's Creed Session IPA. And, you know, I know about how much of different spices and that sort of stuff I normally need to put in for the five-gallon batches. So it's like, oh, cool. Well, I'll go ahead. I'll put an ounce of dried lavender in here. We'll let it sit. It'll be ready to go for the anniversary. When I went to taste the beer, I had a really bad sinus infection, so I really couldn't taste much. Even though I couldn't taste much, I took a sip sip of it. I might as well have been drinking Grandma's bathwater. It was just so overpoweringly soapy, lavendery. It was really bad. So, well, how much of that did you make? Just five gallons. Oh, well, yeah. There you are. I mean, it was an experiment. So there you go. There you that's go. that's the one that stands out the most. And it was one of those like I was able to cut it, um, move some different beers into it, mix it. Um, I ended Blend up it. I ended up doubling the amount of hop assassins in it to kind of have the lavender. And then cut that with some of our uh, Legend Designer double IPA, and that brought it down to a, like, I was really happy with the beer once it hit there, but it was still, like, anybody that associated lavender with soap couldn't drink the beer. Anybody that liked lavender wouldn't stop drinking it. Wow. That's, that's fascinating. So tell us about, we, Aaron and I both enjoyed a flight, well, I enjoyed more of my <laughs> flight than maybe Aaron did. And I've got a second glass of the, what's this called? The Legend of Zymer? Yep, Legend of Zymer. Legend of Zymer. It's a double IPA. It's got a really nice 
flavor to it. It's not as hoppy as you would think that it would be. It's, it's a very good beer. Thank you very much. So tell us about the flight. Tell us about the beers. Where where did you come up with the idea? Is it are these basic beers or are they? Yep. So young, these young are. Beer? I don't know anything about it other than I like to drink. Perfect. No, these are our flagship beers. So what that means is they're available year round. A um, little bit easier to brew. They don't require as many weird ingredients. Um, for lack of any better term, a little bit lower risk. Um, so we've got a uh, white mage, which is our wit. Um, typically tell people that's kind of like blue moon, but with flavor. <laughs> okay. Um, always a reason for the name. So white mage has uh, white cocoa beans and grains of paradise in it, um, which a lot of holistic people say have healing properties. White mage in the games were healers. So it makes perfect sense for that one. Oh, there, what game would white mage be? Um, White Mage, we lightly base it off of Final Fantasy. Okay. Um, nice thing is White Mage is kind of like through any sort of mythology or any sort of fantasy. Um, the White Mages were typically the ones that did the healing. The Black Mages were typically the ones that um, had like the dark magic. So they'd have the fire spells or the lightning spells. Okay. So they always kind of had that yin-yang. It's like this one destroys, this one heals. Okay. <clears throat> okay. So you got White Mage. Yep. Black Mage is our stout. Um, that one, um, we jokingly call it a Session Imperial Russian Stout. It's meant to have a lot of the flavor, body, and mouthfeel of one of the big Imperial Russians. It had a lot of, I've, I tasted a lot of chocolate kind of in there. Do you, do you put chocolate in there or is that the grain? It's actually both. So I boil about, let's see, in a full batch of Black Mage, I think I boil around six or seven pounds of uh, cacao nibs, which is actually um, cocoa beans before they've been processed, before they've so been turned into a So when they still have the white on them? Uh, they don't have the white on them. They have been crushed. Okay. It's just like if you go and buy, um, oh, like unsweetened chocolate or chocolate powder okay. from the store, they've okay. pulled all the cocoa butter out of that, all the oil out of it. Okay. Um, that's why it doesn't taste very good. Right. Um, cacao nibs, it's the beans, they've been roasted, but they haven't been processed further than that. Okay. So it's still got all those oils in it and the butters and it it makes it taste a lot better it is it was very creamy yeah very, very creamy kind of definitely a little bit more stout than, than the white mage but clearly but but that's is that how they make all stouts or is that just how you make your stout no that's how i like to make mine okay. and that's part of trying to make it um taste like a big 10 12 percent imperial russian beer without having that amount of alcohol in it. And when you get a beer that big, it gets really thick and syrupy and just kind of sits in your stomach like a lump. Right. Um, most people don't want to drink those when it's a hundred and holy cow out. Right, sure. right, well, sure. Sometimes I say that when I have a stout, it's like having a meal. Yep. I don't, I don't need anything else after that. Maybe some vegetables and call it a day, but that's about it. So the goal was to avoid that sort of feeling with this beer, but okay. still get those flavors in there, which is why we added in the chocolate, and then um, we use something called Brewer's Licorice in there, which isn't an actual licorice. Like, you probably didn't really even taste licorice in there. No. Because all it does is it gets in there and deepens the beer and kind of enhances the flavors. It doesn't add that star anise flavor or anything like that in there. Interesting. Interesting. And then you've got the standard IPA. Yep, that's uh, Hopsassin's Creed, which is our session IPA. What's that based around? Uh, that's based on the Assassin's Creed games. Okay. 
Um, well, clearly, Rob's not the gamer. <laughs> clearly, clearly, I'm, Assassin's, I'm a, Assassin's Creed. Look, look, I know. I, there was a I, bad I, movie made on it and everything. Hey, that movie oh. was awesome. We're showing it next Friday. Are we? Okay. It's oh, the well, only good video game movie. Well, it was showing. solid, but it wasn't. Another, another discussion in my fault. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all right. That's, but, uh, that's the point of this is to just have a conversation. So. Yeah, Hop Assassins is actually my favorite beer. Um, that's why we made it a flagship. Um, I wanted an IPA that I could drink all day without getting hammered. What so, does an IPA? What does IPA stand for? Uh, India Pale Ale. How do they come? What, what, I mean, where does that come from? So they're like the main mythology behind it is they were beers that were overly hopped so that they could make the trip to the soldiers in India from England. So it was um, preservatives or something. Hops yeah, it was originally in there as a preservative. Um, hops actually have antiseptic properties, so they've got antiseptic properties and they also balance out sweetness. So if you make a beer that's higher alcohol so that it can make that trip you're going to have more sugar and more sweetness so you need to add more hops to it to balance out that sweetness uh-huh. and then they would pack the barrels full of hops and fill them with beer and use those to help it make that trip because it was like a 10 month trip Oh, uh, and okay. use that to make it down and that's um like i said that's part of the mythology behind it um and that's the common thing that you hear it's actually something slightly different that caused them to be honest i cannot remember it right now because that mythology has pervaded or has like gone through society so deeply Mm -hmm. that it's kind of hard to unroot that from your mind oh well interesting okay okay and so the double ipa what makes it a double so double ipa means um higher alcohol and higher bitterness but that doesn't necessarily mean a higher perceived bitterness Okay. So, yeah, I, I didn't. I don't find it. I'm I'm consuming it now in this beautiful goblet that has been provided, and, and it doesn't have a bitterness to me. Yeah, and it's um, the nice thing with Zymer is we go for a smoother bitterness. So um, I want to accentuate all the different uh, hop notes in there. So I want to have those tropical notes and the fruity notes and passion fruit and guava and that sort of thing without this harsh bitterness that just kind of grabs you by the back of the throat. You have guava in this beer? Nope. Um, it's notes from the hops. Oh, wow. I've done this beer with guava in it. goes back to the short attention span. Right. Uh-huh. <laughs> Very good. Well, I'm sure we probably could talk about beer for another few hours here. I did have a couple questions on, on you personally, though. Yeah. One, when you mentioned the Hollywood thing, so maybe we can touch on that here in a moment. But um, I know you you and your wife do this here. So yep. I can ask, how'd you guys meet? Did you have to convince her to do this? Is she the, the big gamer, too, that wanted to kind of push you towards this? Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so um, I actually met her. Um, I was a bartender at the time, and I ran over to um, a Scottish food restaurant to grab some lunch, and she just happened to be working there. And uh, lucky for me, she thought uh, nerds were cute. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it was the only way I stood a chance because I was incredibly awkward. I'm like, ooh, pretty redhead, smile and awkward nod-ish. I didn't know how to deal with a girl. I was a geek. (coughs) Love it. To the point where she actually, like, was telling her friend, she's like, I met a geeky bartender. There's no such thing as a geeky bartender. She took him in to meet me. She's like, oh, yep. Yeah, you found a geeky bartender. (laughs) That one geeky bartender (coughs) she was looking for, though. So there you go. Pretty much. Right on. That's beautiful. That's a great story. But, uh, yeah, she liked to play a lot of Mario Party. Um, and I kind of used that as a gateway and started, like, come on, let, let's play some other games. And 
Um, she liked to watch me play a lot of the ones on PlayStation because they did such a good job with the stories yeah. on those games. Mm-hmm. And then, um, like, one night I'd been, uh, yeah, it's going to be as stereotypical as you get, um, I was playing D&D at a friend's house. And, I mean, the session had gone ridiculously late. I made it home at about 3 o'clock in the morning. And I opened the door to the living room, and there's this faint blue light through the whole living room. And she's sitting on the couch, just kind of crouched over, eyes wide open. And uh, walk around the corner, and she's playing Red Dead Redemption. Like, she'd seen me playing it. She uh, liked country at the time, so she's like, oh, it's Cowboys and Old West. And I watch her, and, I mean, she's, she's just walking in this straight line with the character. Anytime an enemy pops up, bam! Headshot, headshot, headshot. I mean, looks like the world's biggest badass. Shit, everything is dying immediately, and my jaw hits the ground. I'm like, how is she getting constant headshots? And she, oh, well, I wanted to learn how to play. And I'm like, where did you get that aim? Lucky for me, she didn't keep her mouth shut and leave me going there. It's like, oh, wow. She's like, oh, I died so much at the start that it gave me an option and asked if I wanted help aiming. So it was auto-aiming and locking onto the head of every one of them. But uh, great. it was great because ever since then, like it's been one of those, she's played more and more games and then uh, like we found some Overwatch was really the kicker because it's team-based. Sure. So it was one of those like we were able, we got a second PlayStation and as opposed to it's like, oh, uh, I need to spend time with the missus so I can't play video games right now. Like, we could both sit down and play video games, and I got to spend time with the missus and play games. It was the best of both worlds. Right Very cool. <laughs> so, all right, so let's jump back to the Hollywood thing. So how does Hollywood and Avondale, Arizona, with that connection, and tell me a little more about that. Yep, so um, growing up, I loved watching, like, Star Wars and that sort of, of stuff. Um Love doing computer work, and originally I thought, oh, I want to be a computer programmer. And then um, I did a summer of coding for online games and that sort of stuff, and it was miserable and boring. So I uh, decided to go the visual effects route instead. Um, I was out on the east side of the valley for a couple years because of that. That's actually where I met Christina, um, going to the University of Advancing Technology. Um, following in their film program, um, doing the visual effects. Uh, ironically enough, there actually was a movie studio right around the corner from here in Avondale, um, CJS Studios. And it's where they used to shoot a lot of the westerns, and they had some big sound stages. Um, growing up, I'd been just about everywhere on the west side of the valley, but that was kind of that mythical spot where it's like, oh, you can never get in there. There's security guards. You Is that know, a McDowell? Was that... Yeah, it's right behind, well, it used to be behind the Harkins, the Harkins that's there. Okay. Okay. I know exactly uh-huh. what you're talking about. Same thing with like a, a compound, you know. I just want to know what was going on. They so, knocked it down. Did they? I was so angry. That's uh, unfortunate. But uh, through school, one of the movies I was working on, um, just as an internship, they're like, hey, we're going to do all the filming at uh, CJS Studios. For three weeks, I had full run of the place, and it was great, just because oh. the little kid in me is like, oh, this is awesome. But, um, yeah, so pretty much... Um, all through school was working on stuff, um, building stuff for my demo reel, that sort of thing. Um, I was homebrewing at the same time, so they were things that were going kind of hand in hand. Um, had, God, I think, four, maybe five listings on IMDb. Got an Emmy for a uh, locally produced TV show called Screen Wars. Um, 
got an Emmy for a, a, what? A locally produced TV show called Screen Wars. Nice. Um, left that at the school because it was a team effort. Uh-huh. Like, I did the effects, but other people were doing the filming, that right. sort of thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, I mean, come on, that's pretty cool that you got an Emmy. It was awesome. It's yeah. one of those, it's like, I really wish they'd printed enough that we could all have one. Because right. it would be kind of fun. But, uh... And they just mail it to you, say congratulations, and they... Uh, the school. Let the me school. know. They're okay. like, hey, and I, I want to say I'd already graduated by the time I got it. Okay. But, uh... Sadly, I graduated right at the start of the writer's strike, which meant anybody new to the industry was not getting into the industry. Um, typically what you do is, you know, you'd find some little indie films and it'd be one of those, you'd get paid 50 bucks a day or 100 bucks a day. Um, you'd, you know, cut your teeth, build your reel, try to meet the right person. Um, when the writer's strike hit, though, everything, like people were so desperate for work that you had visual effects guys where they're like, hey, I've been in the industry 25 years, I've worked on all the Star Wars, and I'm out of work. So I'll take that 100 bucks a day to come work on your indie film. Kind of left you out of the, out of yeah. the loop, huh? No director in their right mind is going to say, screw you, Star Wars guy, I want this kid fresh out of college. Did you see his Emmy? <laughs> That's awesome. So, by the time it rebounded, I had a really good job uh, in tech support and kind of had that foundation and looked at it and realized it's like, you know, I could try to go to California and chase that around and, you know, never really be on solid footing because you just, you'd jump from job to job to job. And I mean, at the time it was one of those, there was a lot of room for growth and I looked at it and I'm like, it'd be kind of dumb to chase that. So just worked on little small projects around the valley, helped my professor out with stuff, that sort of thing. And then, uh, once I decided to dive headfirst into the brewing, I actually uh, chatted with my professor at Phoenix Comic-Con, when it was still Comic-Con, um, and just told him, it's like, you know, hey, uh, I'm gonna give up on the effects stuff and really focus in on the brewing all together, which was a little bit of a bummer for him, and I got kind of the eye roll of, oh yeah, you're gonna open a brewery. It was really cool two years later when I kicked the doors open, I'm like, Paul, look at my brewery. Watch it, what up? <clears throat> now, is it full time for you guys in, or? Yeah, so I'm typically here about 60 to 80 hours a week. Um, wow. Yeah, just a little bit of time here. Wow. So you, this is your gig? Yep, this is it. Um, do, you, uh, do you bottle it and put it out for people so that they yep. can... So we do very limited bottling and canning. Um, we sell all that straight out of the tasting room. Okay. Um, like we did our barrel-aged uh, Mayan Chocolosis last year. That was our first bottle release. We released uh, 450 bottles. They were gone in about two hours. Wow. That's yeah, fantastic. people hit that beer hard. What about distribution? Do you distribute kegs? Do you do that kind of thing? Yeah, right now we do light distribution of kegs. Um, I pretty much do all of it. So I brew the beer, I run the tasting room, I deliver the kegs, I sell the kegs. Um, so it's kind of limited. Typically we'll be at about six to ten spots. Uh, at any given time, places like The Grid out in Tempe, um, Craft 64 in Scottsdale, Vines and Hops. Um, we've started doing some distribution to Casual Pint in downtown Phoenix. Nice. Yeah, and lots I, of little I places. I see your Princess Christine behind, Christina, sorry, behind the bar tonight, so that's great. Thank you for giving us this opportunity to hang out with you. I don't want to take you away from all these customers that are here with you tonight. So... Uh, how, how often do you do, like, just as a quick aside, how often do you do events and things like that here at the, 
at the location? Like, do you have a regular thing like trivia night or something like that? Yeah, so every Wednesday we do um, Geeks Who Drink Trivia Night. Um, that's one I always tell people kind of flip a coin. We'll have nights where it's, you know, kind of slower for it. We'll have other nights where it's standing room only. And uh, we're making tables and flipping kegs upside down for seats. Um, every Tuesday I release a new beer. Um, typically those are the little five-gallon hacked beers where I'm throwing stuff in there. Um, like I'm doing our stout with a um, donut shop coffee. So it's like a donut-flavored coffee uh, that's made by the guys in the building behind us. So keeping it hyper-local. Nice. So if someone wanted to come to your tasting room and enjoy some of these beers and meet you, where would they go? Um, so they're going to want to come out here to Avondale. Um, if you're in the east side of the valley, it's not as far away as you think. You won't get shot when you cross the I-17. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we are in the back of an industrial complex. Throws people off. What's the address here? Going to be at a 1050 North Fairway Drive, building F Frank, or that, F as in Frank, Suite 101. And we're in uh, Avondale, Arizona, 85323. It's a beautiful location. It's nice. It's as you said, it's industrial, but once you get in here, you don't you don't feel like you're in an industrial area. You feel like you're in in a nice place. You can look through the glass and see the brew stuff. And the, what do you call those things? The uh, fermenters. The fermenters. Fermenter. Do, doing their thing, making the yeast and all the other stuff very happy inside Bingo. there, so that we can be happy later. And, <laughs> Thank you very much for spending this time with us. Yeah, no we problem. We definitely we appreciate, appreciate you. Thanks, man. Thank you for being a part of the Not So Native podcast. <laughs> this inaugural season of the Not So Native podcast is brought to you by MLR Professional Tax and Accounting Service, your full-service tax and accounting business. Located at 2440 North Litchfield Road, Suite 208, Goodyear, Arizona. You can reach them at 623-505-7141 or mlrprotaxservice.com. Tax season is right around the corner. It's never too early to talk to a tax pro. Call, click, or come by 623-505-7141 or mlrprotaxservice.com. Thank you for joining us here at the Not So Native Podcast. Be sure to check us out on our website, notsonativepodcast.com, and leave a comment or two. Also, follow us on social media to get the latest update on our adventures. Until next time. Until next time. <laughs>